Two scriptures to start off with this morning, Hebrews chapter 12 in your right hand and Galatians chapter 5 in your left. So Hebrews 12, first off, I'll just have you seated because we're kind of late getting the milk for the tea and coffee, so you can remain seated. But we're going to look at two scriptures to begin this morning, Hebrews 12 and Galatians 5. This morning I want to start the next uh, three weeks on uh, talking about finding a place of service in the kingdom of God and being faithful at it. So Hebrews chapter 12, it's our memory verse for the month of November. And if you would uh, just follow along as I read out loud. Hebrews 12, 28 says... Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Speaks of serving God acceptably. You know, people, there are many people throughout history who have tried to serve God and they didn't do it right. But the Bible says we can learn to serve God acceptably. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, down in verse 13. Paul, writing to the Christians in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, back then called Galatia. The Bible says, verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, freedom. Only use not liberty for occasion to your flesh, to the flesh, but by love, what should we do? We should serve one another. Now, evidently, being a servant is the highest calling of a Christian. Uh, the kingdom of God is a great kingdom. It's greater than any kingdom of this world, and greater than any kingdom has ever existed in this world. And the kingdom of God is filled with people. People who were lost, without hope, without God, broken, sinful. But people who have marvelously been born again into the, on the inside, into the kingdom of God. Jesus said to a very intellectual, very religious man, he said, you must be born again. If a man is not born again, he'll never see the kingdom of God. So now in this kingdom, we've been talking about all year, called the kingdom of God, there are no princes, there are no nobles, there are no dukes or duchesses. There are no earls or countesses. There are no rich and famous people in this kingdom. But I give you one guess. This kingdom is filled with servants. But if you look around at ourselves, do we see servants? That's the problem. Do we see servants? Do we even know the joy of being a servant? I kind of don't think so. So for the next few Sundays, today, next week, and the week after, I want to show you how to find a place of service in the kingdom of God and what joy you will find in that place of service that you'll never find when you just sit on the sidelines. You can watch a match. You can, you can watch somebody do something. But when you get involved, the joy just increases tenfold, if not a hundredfold. So each one of us who were saved... Each one of us who have been saved, we're not saved for ourselves, but we were, not for only, 
but we were saved to be a blessing. Would you agree with that? I, uh, God saved a wretch like me so that this wretch could be changed and could become a servant, be a blessing to someone else. I could, so I could help someone. God saves sinners to make them into servants of God and to each other. It is our calling, our very purpose, is to serve God and to serve one another. Let's bow in prayer. Father, help us to hear these words, because they are the words that we don't want to hear. They are the words that invite us to step down. They are the words that tell us to stoop low. They are the words that tell us to get rid of pride and reputation and image. These are the words that tell us to become invisible and just just serve. And that's the opposite of what we want. That's okay, because I think our greater desire is to want what you want. So do what you need to do in our hearts today. Please humble every one of us for the kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, by way of background, how do you see yourself? I mean, if I came up to you, I'd say, how do you see yourself? You might say, I'm an expert in some trade. I'm an expert bricklayer. I'm an expert tiler. I'm an expert plumber. You may see yourself as proficient with the talent. Oh, I can play the piano. Oh, I can sing. You may see yourself as a trendsetter or as a leader in your business or in your community. You may see yourself as the best at what you do. I'm competitive, Pastor. I'm driven to be successful. Some of you may come along and say, no, I'm a failure. (laughs) I'm a disappointment. I'm a flop. Do you know none of that matters in the kingdom of God? You see, the child of God sees himself only as one thing, a servant. That's all we're supposed to see ourselves at. Go to John chapter 12. I've got some scriptures to look at this morning. John chapter 12 and verse 26. John 12, 26. Jesus says, if any man, what's the next word? All right, so I want you to get in your mind, serving Jesus is a choice. We'll talk about that later on. But if any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man, will, if any man serve me, him will my father honor. So Jesus calls his disciples servants. He says, and God will honor servants. I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. Romans, to the right now, Romans chapter 1 in verse 1. I'm only going to show you a couple of these things. Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Go to chapter 16 and verse 1. Romans 16 and verse 1. Listen to how the, the, the great apostles and great people of the first century of the New Testament saw themselves. Romans chapter 16, verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea. Go to the right, find James, right after Hebrews. 
Hebrews, James. James chapter 1 and verse 1. <clears throat> Here's James. He's the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And that church went from zero to 3,000 people saved in one day. A few weeks later, they had 5,000 saved and baptized, joined in the church. After that, they said they couldn't even number them all. He was a pastor of a great, the first megachurch. And how does he call himself? What does he think of himself? Chapter 1 of James, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 2 Peter. Go to the right. Find 1 Peter, 2 Peter, chapter 1. In verse 1, here is the great apostle Peter, one of the three close disciples to Jesus. And if anyone should have said, you're talking to Jesus, one of Jesus' favorites, you're talking to a great preacher, because he's the one that preached on the day of Pentecost and got 3,000 people to repent and believe the gospel. But listen to how he calls and how he views himself. Simon Peter, verse 1, a, there's that word again, a servant and an apostle. So, yes, he's an apostle, but what was he first? A servant of Jesus Christ. Jude. You say, how many are we going to go through, Pastor? Oh, I could take you through all of them, but I'm to one more here. Jude, chapter 1. Here is Jude. This is the half-brother of Jesus. This is the, he's in Jesus' family, just born of the same mother, but not of the same father. Jesus was born of God the Father. Jude was born of Mary and Joseph. And he could have said, Jude, the brother of Jesus. He didn't call himself that. Jude, verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. I want to give you an understanding. There is no hierarchy, no caste system, no layers in Christianity. There's no clergy or laity, just people serving God and serving each other. You know, the truth is, serving is our purpose. And becoming, here's the, here's the thing that I want to focus on, becoming better servants is our only goal. I don't want to have a successful church because I don't know what one is. I want to have a servant church because I know what that is. And by being, uh, be, becoming better servants, by definition, will glorify God, and that will make us successful. So, let me give you some thoughts here before we look at some scriptures. There are seven stages, stages to Christian maturity. They are the only path to successful servanthood. You ought to mark these down because every one of us are on one, are on one of these stages or one of these steps getting to maturity. The first one's called where you receive a pardon. The moment you receive the full forgiveness of God, that's the starting point for any servant of God. There's no other way to become a Christian than to receive forgiveness. Amen? It is to understand He offers full forgiveness, start to finish. There is nothing to do to get saved or to stay saved, but to believe the gospel, what Jesus did for you. Baptism, morality, cannot save you, only the absolute and complete and full forgiveness of God by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ purchased it and offers it. All you got to do is receive it. It's called being born again. That's the first step to maturity. I know some very intellectual people. I know some very theological people, but they've never been saved. They're not even in the program. The second step is having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
it is very necessary that as soon as a baby is born, that he or she is close to its family. That, that is um, uh, learning to talk and learning to, to walk in the home and to know how to talk to daddy about anything, talk to mom and listen and obey. All of that relationship we take for granted. And yet when we, when we come to salvation, we don't think it's important to develop that same relationship with our heavenly father. That is, you'll never become a servant until you're walking with the servant of servants. Until you're actually knowing how to talk to him and listen to him and follow him. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The third step is you need to become a people. You need to work hard at accepting and loving the family of God around you. You say, well, they're not perfect. Hello, neither are you. Well, they kind of robbed me the wrong way. Maybe you need sandpaper. We're kind of rough around the edges, would you agree? So God calls us to love one another. God calls us to become part of the brethren. Now, we're already saved in the family of God, but I've got to learn to love the family of God. That's a mark of maturity. The mark of maturity says I have to love anyone who names the, Christ, names the name of Christ. I've got to look at my life, and I've got to say, you know what? I don't matter. They matter. That's on the step to maturity as a servant. Number four, you need to find a purpose, and that's my goal over these next few weeks. Find out what God wants to do with your life. Remember when you were in college, and you were like, or when you were getting ready to go to college, and you were worried about making a decision, and then from that moment on, you're like second-guessing, saying, did I make the right decision? And about the third year, I went, I made the wrong decision. <laughs> and you're struggling always to find out, what am I supposed to do? Let me tell you, that is a real struggle you need to have, not for a career, but for a calling of how do I serve God? Where am I supposed to serve Him? Find a purpose. Number five, take your place doing God's will somewhere. You know, there is a place for you to serve. You cannot just sit at home going, I'm serving God when you're not. Serving God means you go and you do something for someone else. You get off of your back end and you go and serve. Find a place. Pay the price. There are many people, I've known people who, they knew in their heart of hearts God wanted to use them. God, wanted, God was put on their heart to, to preach or to be a missionary. And they were saying, but I, I'm terrified. I can't do it. Let me tell you, if you're going to serve God, you got to pay the price. You're going to have to humble yourself. And whatever it costs to serve people and serve God, that step of maturity is where you say, all right, I'll pay. Whatever it costs. And lastly, win the prize. You know, when, when you get to the place where you don't care whether anybody admi uh, ad admires you or whether anybody respects you or anybody looks up to you or anybody appreciates you, you're living for a prize that's out in heaven. That's the mark of the mature Christian that says, you know, if, it look, if my life looks like a failure, but I have been faithful doing what God's called me to do, so be it. I live for a prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So where are you on that journey? Have you been pardoned yet? Did you know if you have been saved, you've been saved to serve? Have you developed a daily, actual, one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus Christ, or is it just something you feel guilty about? You know, if you don't have a personal relationship, a, an intimate, close, one-on-one -on -one talk with God every day, if you just don't know how to talk to Him, cry, 
worship, if you don't know how to do that, when you ever do do something just for Jesus, if you ever do try to serve the Lord, you will hate it. You will despise it. You will feel um, everything against you. But if you walk with the Lord, whatever He asks you to do, you'll enjoy it because it's not the doing of your service that brings you joy. It's the reason for your service because you're close to Him. Do you see Christians as your people? Or do you just tolerate them? Do you come to church and just sort of go and find a corner somewhere and just, I hope nobody talks to me today? <laughs> hmm. We all have been given a God-given purpose. But there's more to it than just, all right, well, I'll go to church. That's not your purpose. Now, what is it like to serve God? This is the message. Because I think when we think of the concept of serving God, we have no idea what that means. What does it mean to actually serve the creator of the universe? Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And I'll say first off that it evidently is a very important thing to do, to serve God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus is out in the desert. The devil is tempting him and truly tempting him. This was no game. He had not eaten for 40 days. He's worn out, tired, hungry, thirsty, and the devil shows up to him. Look at verse 8. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and he showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, Hey, Jesus, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence. We'd say, Get out of here, <laughs> Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Uh, evidently, it's a very important thing to serve God. Him only shalt thou serve. And it's important for every person on this planet. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, to love Him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. We know Deuteronomy 6 is the first commandment that God, the first and most important commandment is to love God with all our heart. Amen? But did you hear this? This says that we should serve God with all our heart, with all our soul. It is the very most important thing you could ever do to serve God. It means, in simple things, to honor God above everything else. God is not a, a being or a, a thing that you honor among many. He has to be the only master of your life. No one else can be allowed to be the master of your life except God. Nobody should be able to say, I don't want you going to church. Amen? Nobody should be able to tell you, I don't want you to go to church. Who tells you you should go to church and assemble yourselves? God does. So I, to, to, to serve God means He's the one that determines what I do. Not the words of His mouth, like Job said, more than your necessary food. You know, at Lent, people give up chocolate. They give up things, but they never give up their necessary food. 
They don't give up meat and potatoes. Let me tell you, if I had to choose between the Bible and the food I need to live, I choose to honor the Word of God. I choose to obey this book no matter what it costs me. To honor God, to, to, to worship and to honor God is to serve God because I'm trying to do things His way. I'm trying to let Him be in charge of my life to honor Him. I don't think we do that very well. I think we watch the movie stars and we watch the, the, the awards given to musicians and we think that's honor. And we don't know how to honor God and say, you know, Lord, you have first place. If, if I am to be a servant, if I am to serve you, I must let you be all I listen to and all I look to. Secondly, it means to love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. You would know that. You know, a servant can be forced to serve, or a, certain can, a servant can love to serve. I'm not forced to serve God. I serve out of love. I love him. Why? Because he first loved me. Did you know? Do you know why I serve him? Because he first served me. He left his throne. He came down. He walked in the midst of real people who, who talked bad about him, who talked about him behind his back, who abused him, who sought to destroy him, who ultimately did kill him. All the while, he was saying, I want you, Craig. I want you to follow me. I serve him because he first served me. He's the one that knocked on my heart and said, it's me. Will you let me in? I didn't have to find God. He was finding me. So if you're going to serve God, you, this is serious. You say, I, I can't help but do it because I love him. If you find it hard to serve someone else, you know why? It'll probably be because you don't love them. But to, love, but to serve God will come out of that love for him. And if, I, if you ever want to serve God, it'll be because you have developed a relationship with him of love, not just duty. Next, it means to do what he says do. <laughs> no one serves God who does not obey God. That is why his title is Lord God. Master, the one in charge, the one being you have to obey. Now, my younger brother, when I was a kid, I was probably, I was 10 or 11 years old, and if my older brother was out and my parents needed to go to the shop, my mom and dad would say, all right, now Craig's in charge. And so my younger sister, my younger brother would go, hmm. and then they would leave. And then my younger brother would take off and say, you're not my boss. <laughs> and I'd have to chase after him. I'm afraid that uh, most of us are like that. <clears throat> If we're going to serve God, we have to do what he says to do. And it means where you put yourself, you willingly put yourself under his rule. I know what it's like to be under Satan's rule. And I just, I couldn't spend enough money trying to, trying to get all the records, all the music that the devil had. I was willing to do anything to have that bus. Some people are, they'll spend a fortune on drink trying to find that buzz. And yet they put in pennies when it comes after they get saved, try to worship God. 
You know, to do what God says do is the mark of a servant because the Bible word for it is submission. Yielding, letting him tell you what to do. Go to Luke. You're in Matthew. Go find Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. You say, Pastor, how hard do you find it being a servant? Extremely hard. I'll give you an illustration. I'm rushing. I get to, um, uh, I don't know, Mahan Point. And I get ready, I'm, I'm going down, I can't find any parking spot, and there's a parking spot ahead of me, and there's another car coming at it. Mm. <laughs> Do the same thing at Wilton. Wilton's even worse. And you race, and then that car pulls into the parking spot ahead of you. My servant spirit is out the window. <laughs> I want to go give them a piece of my mind. They should have seen that I wanted it. Okay. When, when God has control of your circumstances and puts somebody ahead of you, how do you react? It's not fair. That's just a small indicator of the fact that my flesh is too much in charge and not Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. 646. 646. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do we call him Lord and yet won't do what he tells us to do? It's a big, big problem. Because, you know, look, I should not, if, if you are in your Bible, are you ready, Dean? If anybody in this room is actually reading their Bible regularly, if anybody in this room has actually got a soft heart towards the, the authority of the Word of God over their life, I shouldn't have to beg you to do anything that is right to do. Amen? Because you already know what's right to do. You just need to be reminded, oh yeah, that's what I need to be doing. I should only be a reminder, not a tormentor. Amen? Why call you me Lord, Lord, do not the things which I say. To serve God means to do what he says do. It means also to do the things that please him not yourself. We're supposed to please God, if you haven't figured that out, bring, whether it brings pleasure to us or not, whether it's exciting to us or not, whether it is something that is easy to do or not. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 28. John 8, 28. <clears throat> I think this is a very amazing scripture. You ought to put a star by it because the last few words are the kicker. John chapter 8 and verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, when ye have lifted up the Son of Man, what's he referring to? His crucifixion. When you've killed me, all right? <laughs> then shall you know that I am the Messiah, that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things, and he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. A servant pleases your master. Go to Revelation chapter 4, last book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. 
<clears throat> Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive all glory and all honor and all power, for thou hast created all things, that's obvious, but here's, here's the revelation, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You think you were created to be pleased. You think you were created to be served. But God created us for his pleasure. That ought to be a revelation. Let me give you an example. I think I've given you this example before. My wife's not in here so I can tell the truth. I don't know how many years it was that I was a brick, dense. I would go and do something to please my wife, and she'd go, thanks, but this isn't what I wanted. You know what I went? La, 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 I'm not listening. And I'd do it again. I'd get her flowers, or I'd do this. She said, I really don't want flowers. And I would go, oh, she really wants flowers. I was doing what I thought would please her. It's like a, a husband on Christmas morning bringing this big box in, and the wife's going, what is this? He says, I've been wanting to get you this for years. I saved up, and she opens it up, and it's a 1,000 euro Hoover. <laughs> and he goes, now the house can be really clean. <laughs> Whoa, he's in the doghouse. We do that to God. We say, God, look what I did for you, and we never find out what would please you, God. What is it that you want me to do that would bring you pleasure, that would bring you honor? Why is it that I only do what I like? Does that convict you like it convicts me? To please him. Pity the man who buys his wife a power washer. Eric, sorry. <laughs> now you can work with me. No. Anyway. To serve God means that you do it no matter the cost. A servant looks for a reason to serve, not a reason not to serve. A, a, a servant says, what else can I do? No matter what it may cost me. Every servant I have ever met, anybody who's ever, whether, you're a, whether you clean houses or whether you work a normal job, I mean, a lot of jobs are kind of lazy jobs today, but where there's manual labor, where you are serving people, where you stand on your feet all day, Every servant I've ever met is tired. Amen? Come on. Let me tell you, if we're going to serve God, you will get tired. That's part of it. We think, well, if I'm serving God, I'll be like, Pastor, I just, I just scribble some things down on a piece of paper and then yell for an hour. <laughs> you do believe that, don't you? Every time I set out to serve, I'm talking about serving, not just fellowshipping. We like to fellowship, amen? We love to fellowship. I mean, we almost had a, an hour of fellowship here before church started, uh, preaching started. We love that. That doesn't drain us. But if you are back there, where's um, uh, uh, Ite? Where's Ite? Is he, huh? He's in Sunday school helping out. I bet you, I mean, Ite's over there working his tail off trying to serve you guys. I bet you if I asked him, does it wear you out? I bet you he'd say, yeah, because people kept coming. <laughs> when you serve others, you're going to wear yourself out. Now, wouldn't you agree that our culture has turned everything around? 
They've made serving God only for a few weird people, like you, Pastor. You know, Texans, they become missionaries, but normal people don't. Our culture has turned it around where people honor the basest, the worst of men and women. I have never watched the Emmys or the Oscars. I have never watched it because I want to throw up at the thought that they are honoring people that are so vile in their lifestyle. Amen. I mean, Harvey Weinstein and all this Me Too movement hasn't touched the hem of a garment of how wicked Hollywood is. Amen. And they're the ones that are getting the honor. And yet they blaspheme and they trash the name of the creator of the universe. They got it all backwards. Most Christians do nothing but ignore the commandments of God and argue and debate about it. I don't know if that's right for us today. <laughs> Never just doing what God says to do in the Bible. I've had guys come to say, do you mean that if I could say I have to give up my drink? And I say, no, I didn't say that at all. But if Jesus tells you to give it up, you better be willing to give it up. Amen. How many of us in this room worry? Think about this, please. Let me pause through this thing. How many of us actually actively worry about whether our lives please and bless God? How many of us think about all of our spending, all of the words that we say, all of the plans that we make, and, and actually ask ourselves if any of it is beneficial to the kingdom of God? Do we, do we ever say, Lord, have I ever done anything that was for you and you alone? Our world has turned this around where we think, well, you know, I can't upset my career, Pastor. Well, I've got my schedule, Pastor. Well, I've got, it's all you. We all know the word narcissism, don't we? Self-serving. Is that what you want to be known as? On the, on the day of your death, do people want to say, he served himself well? Is that what you want to be known for? Our world has badly affected Christianity instead of Christianity, Christianity greatly affecting our world. We've been affected. So we don't know how to serve God, and we don't like to. So what's it like to serve others? Well, you can't serve God very long without ending up serving people. Go to 1 John chapter 4. You're in Revelation. Just go back a few pages to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. <clears throat> 1 John 4 and verse 20. If a man say, I love God. Oh, boy. I, I, I know it's easy to say that. Well, let's put it to the test. <laughs> and hateth his brother. You got a problem with somebody, and yet you say you love God? He's a liar. Now, who said that? Did I say that? No, that's God's word saying it. I love God, but I just don't like him. I was going to point at Dean, but I didn't want to do that. He's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother. Not and say tolerate. Does it say tolerate? No. It says, he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can the love of God whom he hath not, sorry, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So you cannot love God very long and serve God very long without ending up serving people. So to serve others 
means to benefit someone else, to make their life better, to help them, to please them. Um, it means to love them as brethren, not just as somebody you meet at church, not just, not just somebody that you know is saved, but you don't want anything to do with. 1 Peter 3, go back to the left some more. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. We are commanded, 1 Peter, just a few pages back, chapter 3, verse 8, finally, be a few of you in one mind. Is that what it says? Now, be ye all of one mind, true unity, having compassion one of another, love as, all right, put it in your own words, love as family. Love the brethren like their family, because they are. Be pitiful. That means be compassionate. Be courteous. Go back to 1 John. I should have done this before, but uh, 1 John chapter 3 in verse 14. First John 3, in verse 14, <clears throat> we know that we have passed from death into life. Why? Because we love the brethren. It's one of the signs that you're saved is you like to be around them. If you don't like being in church, I got news for you. Something's wrong with you, not us. Because we already know there's something wrong with us. But a church is a place where you learn to love people. It goes on. It says, um, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Pretty serious words. You got to check your own salvation. To serve others means to willingly put yourself under the wishes, under the power of another person. Is that ever easy to do? I don't think so. Go back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. I know this is a terrifying thought, but if you ever do serve someone, you're allowing them to tell you what to do. Amen. You're allowing them to decide for you what you're going to do when you had all your own plans. Galatians 5.13 says this, which the first verse, one of the first verses I gave you, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to be free now. Good. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, occasion to please yourself, but by love to please one another, to serve one another. So out of love for Dean, if Dean and I are spending some time together and I say, Dean, what do you want to do? Dean says, I don't know. What do you want to do? I said, no, no, no. I'm here to serve you. <laughs> Sounds very pious. <laughs> See, that's all cordial. But if I actually say, can I help? And he says, you know, Pastor, I need you to run me into town. I don't have a car yet. My mom's busy. And uh, Wendy's being mean. So I need somebody to ride me to, I need somebody to run me into town. I say, okay, all right, let's go. I'll come pick you up. And I run him into town. We go, he goes to the bank. He comes back out and he says, now I need to go over to Mon Point. And I said, we go to Mon Point, okay. We go to Mon Point. He sips a couple of dozen cups of coffee. He then comes back out and he says, now I need to go to, I say, wait a minute. You're taking up my whole day. That's why you don't want to take it. 
I'm learning. But if I'm here to serve, I will be abused. Amen? Amen. <laughs> We're not going that far. Anyway, service is not, I'll only do such and then I don't want to do any more. No. I am willingly putting myself under somebody else, and they have the power to say, I need you to do this, and then I need you to do this, and I need you to do this. Now, you may not be able to do it all, but you may have to pull back because of another commitment, but you don't pull back just because you don't want to. You don't pull back just because you don't like him. You serve, and you let them run your life for a little while. That's what a servant does. If you are employed, there is somebody that is evil. They're called the boss. <laughs> I need you to arrive by 8 a.m. <laughs> and I will beat you and torture you until 5. And during those hours that we're there, they run our lives, don't they? Now, we get paid for it. But as a servant of God and as a servant of others, I get no pay. I have a reward waiting up in heaven. Amen? We'll talk about that prize later. But to serve others has to be changed where we decide if I am going to truly serve people. They're going to hurt me. They're going to take advantage of me. They're going to bleed me dry sometimes. I'm going to say something. I'll say, let me say this to you. How many of you know the fruits of the Spirit? Remember? Love. Talk with me. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There's no law against any of those, okay? So out of all of those things, we have the awful idea that the fruit of the Spirit is for us. Oh, I get love. Oh, I get joy. <laughs> but that was not given to me for me. God fills me with His Spirit. And he fills me with joy to give it to someone else. And you know what they do? They take it. And I'm left with nothing. So I have to have the fruit grow some more. So that's available to the next person. Amen? The fruit of the Spirit is for others. And it's, most of us have rotted fruit because we never let it go. Another thing about serving Others is, we do what we're asked. Not necessarily what we feel like we can do. Go to Luke chapter 17. No, 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 don't go there yet. Well, go ahead, because you can go there. <laughs> but I'm going to... Mm, let me. Uh, this is a two-part statement here. First of all, we do what we are asked. And it really doesn't matter who asks us. If, if, if pastor comes in, so let's pretend that, that uh, Jim Foley back there is sitting back there, and I come in and I say, hey, Jim, I need you to help me unload the van. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be in charge here, right, Brother Jim? I should be able to tell you exactly, help me come do this, right? Okay. So Dean comes in and says, Brother Jim, we need help unloading the van. Well, you're not the pastor here. See, a servant, it doesn't matter who's asking, does it? There's a job to do, and a servant says, let's get it going. Amen? We do what we're asked. We, we, 
we see things as an opportunity to serve. A servant serves no matter who asks them. You're just serving. But here, now Luke 17, we should do more than we're asked. Luke 17. Luke 17, starting in verse 7. Verse 7, which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he's coming from the field, go and sit down and eat? <laughs> if you have a servant and they're out there working all day in the hot sun and they're plowing or whatever, the, the master, the owner of the field, the owner of the house, doesn't go out to the servant and says, hey, why don't you go have dinner? Verse 8, it will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup first. Wow. That is so different. Yes, it is. And gird thyself, put on the servant's clothes, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Verse 9. Doth he think that that's, does he think, sorry, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not, I know not. So likewise ye, speaking to believers, when you shall have done all these things which are commanded you, this is what you need to say. We are unprofitable servants because we have done that which was only our duty to do. Do you know what? A true servant says, what more can I do? What else can I do? And just goes beyond. If I only did whatever my wife told me to do, and said, my wife just said, uh, I don't know, and I only did that. That doesn't demonstrate any love. That just demonstrates obedience, doesn't it? All right? But in a home, in a relationship, if I truly love her, I'll see what else could I do. If that's what she needs done, what else can I do? Even asking her, what would you like me to do? Because out of love, I want to serve. And if there's one thing we need in, in Christianity and in our church is a, a, a desire to say, what else can I do? Not just, what do I have to do? We should do more than we're asked. If you ever get the privilege of teaching or helping out in children's church, if you ever get the opportunity to go soul winning, if you ever get the opportunity to help out setting up or taking down here on a Sunday, you should just be saying, what else can I do? Because that's what servants do. And you do it whenever it's needed. Hmm. A servant is available. We don't just work a nine to five job. Aren't you glad when people are available? Aren't you glad I was traveling to go pick up Mikey this morning, and there was a guy on the side of the road, and guess who was pulling up right next to him? The AA. Now, if I was in that car, I would be very glad that the AA was available, amen? But you could call and say, I'm broken down on the side of the South Link, can you come and get me going? Be awful, they say, no, we don't work on Sundays. No, we're not available until tomorrow at Nine. No, you need availability, amen? A servant says whenever. Hey, uh, Andrew, do your kids say, oh, Aiden, we can't call for dad. It's 3 a.m. Dad's asleep. We can't buy, well, yeah, you have not smelled my nappy, bud. And I think we need to call mom and dad. No, we're not going to call them because we can't bother them. It's only between the hours of 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. that they're available. They don't have that discussion, do they, Brother Dan, uh, Andrew? No, no. They need mom and dad available, don't they? All right. 
servant is available whenever. And lastly, they need to stay that way. Because serving is a way of life for a Christian. It's not something you do. Can I be honest with you? I'm saved 39 years. I hope to keep preaching until the day I die. I hope to keep serving. I don't know if my voice will hold out. I don't know if my health will hold out. I have no idea. But there is one burning desire more than being a success. Are you ready? It's to be faithful. Just doing what I'm supposed to do. Because that's what a servant does. They just stay that way. Doesn't a servant want to be a master? No! If my master wants to make me do something different, that's his business. But I seek to serve and only to serve better. Do you know there's some great uh, servants in the Bible? Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We don't have time to look at it, but he, he put a towel on and he got down. And I, I, I can't describe the humbleness, the humility of Jesus getting down and taking off the, I'm not going to do it, thankfully, <laughs> uh, taking off the, the sandals of the feet of the disciples and using and, and, and washing with his hands, his own hands, not, a, not gloves and not a rag. He washed with his own hands the feet of the disciples and then took that towel that he was wearing and then dried. So every time he stood up, that towel got more and more filthy. And as he went around, he looked more and more like the lowest of servants. And as he did that, he said, now I want you to do the same thing to each other. Now I want when you serve that you get lower than them. And that it doesn't matter if they walk away clean and you're filthy. Jesus is the greatest example of a servant. But there are other examples. How about husbands? Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look in verse 32, 1 Corinthians 7, 32. But I would have you without carefulness. We would say, don't be worried about this. I'd have you without care. He that is unmarried, he cares for the things, talking about a Christian, he cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please who? All right, if you're unmarried, you can give all your time, day and night, just whatever the Lord asks you to do. But he that is married... Care for the things that are of the world. He cares about the temperature. He cares about where he lives. Some of us guys, we could live in a tent, but we can't anymore because we're married. <laughs> I have to care about the temperature of the house. Ruth will tell you, my favorite phrase when everybody was saying we're cold, I say, put on another jumper. Some of you will remember that. He that is married careth for the things of the world how he may please his wife. That's an example of servant, of service, saying, I want to do what you want to do. Not what channel you want to watch either, by the way. It goes much bigger than that. Look at the next one. How about wives? Look in verse 34. There's a difference also between a wife and a virgin, unmarried woman. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married, she too careth for the things of the world, how she may, there it is again, please her husband. A wife, one of the 
curses. And I say that not quite tongue-in-cheek, but quite particularly so that you understand. One of the hardships of being married is you lose your rights. You lose the focus on you. Now, I know a lot of guys never get that. <laughs> they still think everything's about them. But when you got married, the whole a marriage is you now for the rest of your life seeking to please that other person. That's all marriage is. I thought, well, marriage is having kids. I thought marriage is starting mortgages. I thought marriage was paying bills. It is not. Marriage is seeking to please the other person. End of story. If you have a home where a mom seeks to please dad and dad seeks to please mom and they both ignore the kids, you have a happy home. Some of you got that. All Christians. Example in the Bible is of Christians who are supposed to live like they're part of a body. They're part of one body. Each person ministering to the rest of the body of believers, one person may be a finger, another person a toe, someone else an eye, another person an ear, someone else an arm. All of these things pulling together, supporting each other, carrying, carrying for the body, not ever tearing itself apart. I've been in several churches in my time as a Christian, and I've seen some churches tear themselves apart. That should never happen. Any more than my body should begin to rip itself apart. Wouldn't that be insanity? 1 Corinthians 12, we won't look at it this week. But every one of us are an example of serving the needs of the body. This hand serves this body, reaches for an apple, Brings it to the mouth so the rest of the body is nourished. This, this, uh, this hand is so... Listen, you know how important this hand is? There's an itch right there. I'd be, an, I'd be awful to be around if I couldn't use that hand to scratch that itch. Amen? I need that hand for some really tough times. Amen? All right. And God needs you for whatever purpose to minister to the body. That is a great example of service. I wish we just had the desire, because the list is endless. Just say, how can I help, Pastor? You know what a, a home is filled with? Servants serving each other, starting with children. No eight-year-old should be a spoiled brat. You know what I was doing when I was eight years old? I, I just had, I had, a, I had a different kind of a dad. Right? I, don't, I tell you these stories just for an example. Don't, don't take it that I'm browbeating or anything. But my dad was always working. Right? Um, and so he went out to mow the grass, and I said, I was only eight years old. I remember this day, like it was, well, maybe I was about, maybe it was about six or seven. I remember this first day, because it was breathtaking. I said, Dad, can I mow? And he looked at me. I mean, he had his big mower. And he says, no, but I have an idea. We went to the toy store. You know what he bought me? Do you know what my dad bought me? A bubble-making lawnmower. Oh. So my dad's over here, and he's mowing alongside. Guess who's alongside him pushing that little mower? The bubble's coming out. Oh. <laughs> you know what my dad was sneakily doing? Making a servant. Because about nine or ten years old, I can't remember what age it was, but somewhere around there, he said, that's yours now. And he put me behind the big mower, you know, like this. You know. 
Amen. Children ought to serve, not be served. Amen. You know why we have 18, 19, 20-year-olds who never leave the house, who never get a job, who are lazy? Because they never were forced to serve. Amen. You know, I believe the elders in this church ought to come always early to church and make sure everything is set up. Do you know who's here first? Usually me. Well, no, lately it's been Elizabeth. <laughs> She's here a half hour before I get here. But I believe the elders in this church that we all look up to and we think they're wise and we think that they're, they're, they, can fall, they can lead us. Let me tell you, if you're an elder in this church, I expect you to be here early to serve. Amen. Do you expect that of them? I do. God does too. You and our enemies should notice, they should notice that Christians... Pray for them. Bless them. Do things good for them because we serve. Even our enemies. List is endless. I want you to examine yourself and see whether you have a heart for service. Because it is natural and normal for you to want to be honored and have power and to be popular. But Jesus shows us that the truly greatest leaders of history will only be servants. Mark chapter 9, I'll just quote it. He sat down, he called his twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. Mark 10, 43 says, Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. The next verse says, Who would be chiefest shall be the servant of all. We've got to make a choice. This is your, your time where you make a decision. Becoming and staying a servant doesn't just happen. Even if you came to church, I'm glad you come to church. I'm glad a lot of you are faithful, brilliant. But let me tell you, coming to church, hearing the most passionate preaching does you no good. It does not change you until you make a decision. Until you decide, I am going to do what is said to do. You have to make a choice was the choice to be a servant, to go home and not be asked to do the dishes, to go home and to just change your whole attitude around your family, around your wife, your kids, around your husband, where you are a servant and not a bad attitude. How about at work? What if you came to work and you treated your boss like he or she was Jesus Christ? Never talking bad about him, never talking back, uh, uh, talking back to them, doing more than they ask, they're going to say, good night, what got into you? Hmm. All believers have to make the same choice. Go back to Joshua 24. We read it for our baby dedication. We go to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24, 15. See, servanthood is a choice that you need to make, sometimes daily. Joshua 24, 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, doesn't look like something you want to do, okay, well, choose this day whom you will serve. Believe me, if you don't serve Christ, you will serve the devil. But anyway, he goes on, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now, but as for me and my house, we will, we choose to serve the Lord. 
1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. First Corinthians 9, 19. There's not a marriage that couldn't be saved if at least one of them became the servant in that home. First Corinthians 9, 19. For though I be free from all men, I, am, I, I owe nobody anything. They, they have no control over me. Though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto those that I like. You know what God did? God did so. Such a terrible thing to Paul. See, Paul was a hyper-intellectual Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew every jot and tittle in the Old Testament. In the law, he was righteous outwardly. Inwardly, he was, he was chiefest of sinners. But everything, he was a Jew. And God said, I want you to go to preach to the dumb Gentiles. And it humbled him. And he had to go. And then God said to Peter, who, Peter was a fisherman. Peter couldn't say three sentences straight. And he got into arguments and fights usually. God says, now I want you to go to win the Jews. God just does that. But Paul says this. Which verse was it? Uh, verse 19. I made myself servant unto everybody, unto all, that I might gain. He's talking about winning souls that I might gain the more. Look at Psalm 84, and we'll finish with this verse. Psalm 84, the middle of your Bible. Psalm 84 and verse 14. That's not right. No, verse 10. Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I had rather, I choose to be a what? Amen. Marcel, where are you? This is your verse. Heidi, Ruth, this is you. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in those tents of wickedness where there's all the popularity, all the power, all of the image and the reputation. No. Rather just stand at the door and welcome people into the house of God. It's a choice you make. And really, the truth is, if you don't make a choice to serve, then you've already made your choice. And you will miss the joy that, that there is for the Christ, Christian on this side of, of heaven. There's one joy that most Christians never experience, and it's the joy of serving. Would you stand and bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we've been here now this morning looking at this from lots of different sides. But our desire is that you would soften our hearts and there would be in this room a unity that comes from just being servants. There's no way we could ever be as close together as a family if everybody's got their own agenda, Lord, and if everybody's got their own expectations. If we would switch that around, 
and our one agenda would be to serve God and serve each other. We'd have heaven on earth. And our world would never be the same. Or it all begins with pardon. It all begins where we realize that you stepped down out of heaven to become a man so that you could die, so that you could become a servant as an example to servants. And you gave everything in your service so much that it cost you your life. But you did it because we needed a Savior. You don't need any more saviors, Lord, but you still need some servants. And would you please make us some? And if there's anybody in this room who's never been pardoned by God, never been born again, never been saved, has no idea what it means to be forgiven of all of their sins without doing anything but just receiving the gift of God that's in Jesus Christ. If somebody would just want to be saved, please, God, put it in their heart, I need to talk to pastor. I need to talk to somebody so I can see with my own eyes that God wants me and that God will save a wretch like me. Lord, would you just bless us? Make us your servants in Jesus' name. Amen.